Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 21. The last part of Matthew chapter 20, we saw, we looked at the example of Jesus serving, and he gives us such an incredible example. But we also see the insistence of the, the, the two blind men that they heard that Jesus was going by, and they were so serious about it, they wanted to be heard by him. And they, they did, they shouted, they didn't whisper, but they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And you remember what happened? The crowd around said for them to what? Come closer? No, the crowd said, you know, quiet down. You know, we're trying to have a procession here. We're trying to, you know, be all spiritual and, and whatever. And, and, but it says that they shouted the louder. They shouted all the louder. They were insistent. They were urgent. They were persistent. And I think, again, that example for you and I, don't, don't settle for second best. Go all the way. Go for it. If you're going to live and follow Jesus, live and follow Jesus. Not just Sunday morning for a few minutes. Every day, all week long. Is it difficult? Yes, it is. Even for me, as a pastor, it's difficult. But God will help us to live for Him. And He, he loves it when we follow Him and serve Him. Jesus gave us this example of serving. We saw that He heard the cries of these two, and He hears our cries. He stopped, and He stopped, and, and, and after He heard them, He stopped what He was doing. He called them, it says. He reached out to them. He asked how he could help. He had compassion. It says he cared. And then he touched them. He physically touched them at their point of need. That's a good example for us how to serve. How do we, you say, well, how do I serve? Well, do what Jesus did. Stop and listen to people. Reach out to them. Ask how we can help. Care. Stop being so selfish that we are and, and, and touch people in their point of need. Now today in, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. And uh, this Jesus entering Jerusalem, the, this is the final week, the last week before the crucifixion, before his death and resurrection. It's really what, what is kind of like the final approach into the city of Jerusalem, the last week. And it's very interesting, I, I read these statistics that Matthew commits one quarter of his gospel to the last week, Mark one third, Luke one fifth, and John commits a full one half of his gospel to this very last week. Obviously that makes it pretty important. You average all those together and it's like one third, one third of the gospels are just the very last week of Jesus' life on earth, or life before his death and resurrection. One, one man said this, one pastor said this, that the most important life ever lived was that of Jesus Christ. And the most important part of that life was the momentous week that ended it. You know, if you ever fly in an airplane, how many of you like to fly in airplanes? How many don't like to fly in airplanes? You know, when you're, when you're up in the sky, it's kind of okay, you're bored, whatever, and then all of a sudden you go, okay, uh, we're, we're in our final descent, and, uh, you know, they're getting on that final approach. And when they do that, we kind of live right in Warwick, we live right on the flight path, so you can look up and, and like, see the numbers of the planes, they're that low. But, but they, when they come in, they, they, they line up right to the, the runway that they've been assigned, Right? They begin to lower their landing gear before that point, before they get too close. 
and, and everything's got to be lined up just right. And for Jesus now coming into Jerusalem on this last week, everything is like lining up this final approach. Not, not just what's happening right at that time, but really all of history from the, from the very beginning, the creation of the earth. And, and in through the prophecies that, that all line up together now that Jesus is now coming to Jerusalem on this last week, this final approach, fixed on the runway. We've seen that, that no matter what uh, was going on, Jesus had his eyes fixed resolutely to go to Jerusalem, that he knew, he knew what he was going to do there. He was going to have to die and pay the price for our sin. But he heads into Jerusalem really as king. And this is such an important thing as we see as we read this. Look at verse chapter 21, verse 1. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. So they approached Jerusalem. They came to this place called Bethphage. There was two small towns up on the Mount of Olives. One was Bethphage and the other one was a, a town called Bethany. And they're up now on the Mount of Olives. And, and the Mount of Olives, that's why I gave you a few pictures here so you can kind of see it. The Mount of Olives was basically, there was a, a, a small valley in between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. And the valley is called what? Anybody know? The Kidron Valley, exactly. It's not that big. You can actually walk down from Jerusalem and walk down the Kidron Valley and, and then walk up to the Mount of, uh, uh, the Mount of Olives. It's kind of a, a hard walk because you're going up like to 26, 2700 feet, something like that. Um, but from up on the Mount of Olives, there's a perfect view from there. So I want to, this, is, this picture here is from the uh, looking in the distance there. That is the Mount of Olives. But you, can you see how it's higher than the, uh, this is the Temple Mount where you see one of the uh, mosques uh, there. Um, but the, the Mount of Olives is higher up. And so this is from Jerusalem looking towards the Mount of Olives. Okay, next picture, please. This is um, from up on the Temple Mount looking across to the Mount of Olives. And in that, uh, to the far right there on the far side is like a Jewish cemetery. Those are all, you'll see those in a minute. But in, in the, the trees and the, and the, the green areas there, they, this is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And then the next picture, and we'll just leave it there. This is... Uh, it's a little bit dark, but you can see this is from the top of the Mount of Olives now. And you can see that Jewish cemetery that I was talking about right on the hillside of the Mount of Olives. And then that valley down below uh, that Jesus is now coming. He's up on the top of the Mount of Olives and he's going to be going down the Mount of Olives and then into the, uh, the city of Jerusalem and to the temple. And it's very difficult to see. I should have given you one more picture. But in that wall there... Um, you see the gold dome, right? To the right of it, um, where there's like a, a rise in the wall, there's, there's a, a gate there called the Golden Gate, or also known as the Eastern Gate, where Jesus uh, would go into uh, Jerusalem from this direction. And so this is kind of what's happened. Again, all these things are lining up perfectly. Um, Jesus was uh, up on the Mount of Olives. He would descend into the Kidron Valley, then up into the, the city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount as well. This Mount of Olives is a very important place. Um, it says that, as I mentioned, the Garden of Gethsemane is there on the Mount of Olives, and it's very close. 
Uh, it says also in the book of Acts in chapter 1 that, uh, that Jesus would ascend into heaven from the Mount of Olives. But also it says in the, in the book of Zechariah that Jesus would return there as well. When he physically returns to the earth that he would, he would come, it says in Zechariah 14 that, uh, that on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the, the mountain moving north, half moving south. So it's very incredible, this place, and in, in, in the future to come and in the future past as well. Um, so this is kind of the setting now. We see here it says that he sent two of his disciples, verse 1. And, and uh, as you read the Gospels, you see Jesus had a, a kind of habit of doing that, sending people out by twos, Right? And, and I think that's important for us to kind of know that we need someone to work with. And, and, and uh, he sent them out by twos. And he said to them in verse 2, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. He says, Go to this village ahead. And they were near Bethphage, and probably this was the village of Bethany. Again, where... where uh, his friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, and, he, and, and during this last week, uh, most nights it says that he would go and he would spend the night on the Mount of Olives in, in uh, Bethany with these friends of his. But he sent them out to these disciples, and he said, you go to this village, and you're going to find a donkey tied there with her coal, untie them and bring them to me. And, and Mark and Luke also add that the coal had never been ridden before. Look at verse uh, 3. It says, If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Can you imagine if, if someone just came and, and uh, you know, and, and took your car? They just come and, and you know, they've got those, uh, you know, you see it on the, on the cop programs uh, um, where, um, you know, that show Cops. I, I, I saw uh, an episode of that. And, and if I ever mention a television program, don't mean that I, I want everybody to go out and watch it. <laughs> um, but the guy had like 25 keys, and they were all like filed down. I guess that's what you do to go out and steal cars or whatever. Anyways, that's got nothing to do with this. Um, but if, if you can imagine someone coming to just take your car, that's kind of what was happening. I mean, to have a donkey and a colt, I mean, that you, you had to be, you know, well off, and you had to... To, uh, those were important to you. That was like your transportation. That was your means of, of, uh, of moving goods as well. And, and so if someone just came to your car and just got in it and started running it, and then you would tell them this, that the Lord needs them. The Lord needs it. Well, I think in this particular case, we don't know. Some people s speculate that, that Jesus had kind of already set this up with the owners. I don't really know that that's true. It doesn't say that here, though. You know, that he set it up, hey, when I send some guys over to pick up your, you know, animals, be ready, and they'll come, you know, at some point in time, because he spent a lot of time in Bethany, maybe, but I think it was just that he sent them, and, and, and when, when, uh, when they realized that it, what it would be used for, that the Lord needs them, it was a privilege, a privilege for Jesus to, to use your, whatever it is that you had, your, your donkey and a colt. 
There's certainly a principle. Jesus could have done it in any other way. He could have, you know, had some animal just come. And, 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 but he says the Lord needs them. And, and I, I had to ask the question, the Lord needs what we have? He needs what we have? He said to them, untie them and bring to me. And I think, I think for you and I to bring what we have to him, or, or the question I, I asked myself is, is what we have all tied up and cannot be untied? It's all tied up. No, it's busy. I can't use my car for you. Are you kidding? No, I can't use my house for you. I can't use the money I have for you. It's all tied up. It's all tied up in CDs and <laughs> not the kind you play in your car either. You know? The Lord needs them, he said. Bring what we have to him. Untie them. And bring them to me. Look at verse 4. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a prophecy out of Zechariah, same book that I mentioned about his return in Zechariah 14. This comes out of Zechariah chapter 9, this prophecy that that the king would come. He said, see, your king comes to you. So this is what's taking place now. Jesus, he's up on the Mount of Olives. He's preparing. He's getting these, these animals and this animal that he would then sit upon. And, and you say, well, why is it a donkey? Why isn't it a, you know, a horse? A, and you read in the Old Testament, they had war horses. Well, Jesus wasn't coming to make war. And, and the, the donkey, is a, as some have said, is a lowly animal of peace as well as a princely mount. In some cases you see that, that, it was, you know, that kings would actually ride uh, mules or donkeys. And it was symbolic of humility and peace. And also royalty, Davidic royalty from the line of David. That's why he's riding a donkey, you see here. He's coming in on this, this humble, lowly animal. But it spoke volumes as well because it also, as I said, was a picture of a king writing that. The king came to bring peace. Now the thing about it is when, when, he, when he made this statement, and it certainly was a statement, it was a statement at the right time in the right place and the right way, he was making a statement, but it wasn't necessarily the statement that they were thinking he was going to make. It wasn't exactly what they were waiting for. It wasn't exactly what they pictured, what they saw in their minds as, as the Messiah coming to do. And we'll get back to that in a minute. Look at verse 6, though. The disciples, they went and they did as Jesus had instructed them. Let's read that again because that's important. That's an important verse for you and for me. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. What does that speak to us about? obedience exactly they went and did just what jesus told them to do they went and and they followed through it's not good enough just to know what god wants us to do but to do something about it it's not good enough just to to say well i know that god doesn't want me to do this and but you know i should uh, maybe i'll stop doing that or maybe i will do you know what he wants me to do someday or whatever and they could say well you know jesus okay uh 
and this is an excuse we use a lot of times. Uh, Jesus, I know you want me to go. You, you want me and and um, my partner here to go and get that donkey in the cold, but um, we're going to have a prayer meeting, and we're going to pray about that for a little while, and then we're going to see if we get a peace about it. And then if we pray for a while and then we get a piece about it, maybe we'll follow through and do what you've asked us to do. What? Huh? Yeah, good. I mean, that's, that, you know, it, it sounds ridiculous, but that's what we do. When his word is black and white about how we should live, the things we should and should not do, and, and, we, and we like waffle. We don't follow through. You remember uh, Jesus at the wedding in Cana. Uh, these words that his mother Mary said to uh, the servants at this wedding, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. It's as simple as that. Do whatever he tells you. And you say, well, I don't hear the voice of Jesus. Well, you're probably not reading the Bible then because the voice of Jesus is all through this book. And maybe sometimes that's why we don't read because we're afraid he might say something and then I'm, I might have to do it and, you know, that creates another problem. But like I said earlier, are we going to really follow him or are we just going to pretend and play the game? James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, what? Sins. It's actually sin, he said. So what happened when they got there? They followed through. They, they actually did something. They did as Jesus had instructed them. Look at verse 7. When they got there, uh, well, before that, let me add a couple of uh, a parallel accounts. In Luke, it says that when they got there, uh, those who were sent ahead, they went and they found it just as he had told them. Jesus said, like, when you go there, this is what you're going to find. This is what you need to do. And you know what? They got there, and it was just like he said. Fancy that, <laughs> that he knew what he was talking about. Fancy that, that it's, like, going to be right when we get there. Fancy that, that, that he goes ahead of us to prepare the way for us. And when you get there, you go, wow, it really, he really does know what he's doing. It says that, that as they were untying the colt, and this is in the Gospel of Luke, the owners did ask. Its owners asked them, why are you untying the coal? Like, why are you taking my car? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Mark says they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Simple as that. They answered as, the Lord, as Jesus had told them to. They replied, the Lord needs it. Well, let's just try it out. Let's see if what Jesus says is true. Let's try. Sometimes we're afraid to even try. They, they said, well, okay, well, this is what he told us to do. We knew, they knew that it wasn't like the greatest thing to go be taking someone else's animal. And they said, the Lord, okay, he told us to say the Lord needs it. So, okay, the Lord needs it. And they said, oh, okay, go ahead. And they go, okay, let's go. But, but to, to test the Lord, to see if what he says is really true until we get out there and do what he's asked us to do. Do whatever he tells you. And the people let them go. Verse 7, Matthew 21, says that they brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. 
I don't know about you, but I look through this story and I see, I see people involved. I see people like you and me involved. First of all, we have the two disciples doing what Jesus asked. Then we have him going to this place and we have the animals of these other people. The Lord needs them. Okay, go ahead and take them. Do what, whatever he says. And now we have the disciples actually taking their cloaks. And, you know, they weren't well off. They weren't wealthy. They're taking their cloaks and putting them on this animal now that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on what's called the triumphal entry. Their cloaks, what they owned, what they had, now used by the king. The Lord needs them, he said about the animals. And these now, though, these are, they're, they're, they're offering. Jesus didn't, it doesn't say that he asked for them, but they offered, you see. Well, let me put, you know, there was no saddle on this colt, never been ridden. No saddle for it, it, it never, it hadn't been broken. They take their cloaks and they put them to be used by the king. Verse 8, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. It was, again, the crowd now spreading out their cloaks actually on the road itself and cutting branches. And, and really it was an act of homage. It was like rolling out the red carpet. Like rolling out the red carpet. Hollywood has, has a red carpet, we all know, but, but, but really that, that, that whole thing is just about lifting up humans. But this, 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 this entrance, this carpet, this red carpet was to lift up the king of kings, the king that was entering Jerusalem. Verse 9, it says there that the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, they shouted, and again, it's, it's like we saw that in the last chapter. These two, they were shouting. And these crowds, they were shouting. And, and, and they said, Hosanna to the Son of David. They said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said, Hosanna in the highest. And, and this is, again, this is uh, what we call the triumphal entry, but also this is Palm Sunday, right? This is what we call Palm Sunday when and, and one of the accounts talks about palm branches that were spread on the road. And, and this is what's taking place now on Palm Sunday. This last week of Jesus' life, life all lined up, everything on this final approach, and he's coming in now to the city of Jerusalem. Up on top of the Mount of Olives, now descending and, and coming into the city. And these crowds have spread these things out now, and they're shouting out, Hosanna. To the son of David. And these other, these other uh, uh, quotations. And, and these are coming out of prophetic, uh, very well known to the Jews, prophetic messianic prophecy. Prophecies that they were waiting for Messiah to come. And so in their minds at this point in time, when they're shouting out these words in these verses, they are saying Messiah is now entering. The king is now entering the city of Jerusalem. This word, Hosanna, translated literally means save now. Also became later uh, an exclamation of praise. But really, it was, it was really both. It was a, an exclamation of praise, but it was also a prayer. Save us now. The, the, uh, it's from Psalm 118. That in the, the next uh, quotation there, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Psalm 118 is one of what they call the Hallel Psalms. 
which were sung at Passover. And, and uh, I neglected to mention that this time that all this was taking place is also the time of Passover. When crowds and crowds of people would come to celebrate the Feast of Passover, the, the Passover lambs that would be uh, sacrificed. Save us now. I mentioned earlier that, you know, this really, you know, they, they weren't quite sure about what really was going to take place. They didn't, they didn't quite understand. Though Jesus said, speaking to his disciples uh, over and over and over again about the fact that he was going to the cross to die for the sins of mankind, they are saying, save us now. But they were expecting the king, the Messiah, to come. And this is a, a kind of the whole picture of of. A, the Jewish people expecting the Messiah to come, but in their minds, what was Messiah coming to do? That's the question. What was Messiah, what were they expecting him to come and do? To take over and, and, and to bring freedom to the people. Freedom from the tyranny of Rome. Uh, the, the, the Jewish nation was under the, the rule of Rome. And so... In their minds, they're saying, yes, it's finally happened. Messiah is here. He's going to set us free. He's going to save us from Rome. He's going to bring us the salvation that, that we have been waiting for, for so, so long. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna in the highest. Being sung in the highest heavens. Save now. Save us now. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19, one of the parallel accounts of this, and, and this is found, again, in all four Gospels. But Luke, chapter 19, verse Start in verse 37. When, they, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. He, you know, if the people didn't recognize that he was the king, maybe they weren't sure about what he was going to do, but there was certainly a recognition that the king was coming in because of the way he did it, because of how it all came together. He says the stones would cry out. But look at verse 41. Right there in Luke 19, he says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. If you only knew. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Again, as you see the picture, he's coming down the hill, and he's, he's coming up now, and he sees the city of Jerusalem because you can see it so perfectly from up there. He wept over it. Why? Because they didn't, they didn't understand. They didn't know they needed a Savior. 
not from Rome, but a Savior from the sin that each one of us has. If only, if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, he said. Back to Matthew chapter 21. Verse 10, it says, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The whole city was stirred. I want to mention a couple more things in, in terms of, uh, of, of prophecy and, and, uh, and, and end time uh, things that are happening. That I mentioned that golden gate there. And it's, it's most likely that gate was where Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. And Mark says that he went up to the temple area. And we'll see in the next section he went in and cleared the temple uh, um, there. And, but but this, this gate is now sealed up. And if you go there and you see it, and I, I should have had a picture up for you, you can see that the gate is completely sealed up with stones. Completely sealed up and and, and the reason they did that is because there are prophecies about the Messiah coming and entering through that gate. Now, this is, this is the future now I'm talking about, not when Jesus entered that time. It was open at that time. But later in history, the, they, they say that they, the reason they actually sealed it up was so that Messiah could not come back and enter Jerusalem. Like some stones are going to stop him. They also, uh, you can't see it here, but, but in... Below the wall there, the wall uh, uh, around Jerusalem, and that's part of the old the city, the old wall, and up there is the Temple Mount, but the wall continues for the old city. There is a, there's a cemetery as well. And they figure, you know, well, that's another reason, uh, another way they could stop Messiah from coming because the Messiah, being Jewish, could not walk through a cemetery of, not a Jewish cemetery, but, but a, an Arab or a Palestinian cemetery. He could not walk through like that is going to stop him. When Messiah comes, he will come. Amen. Nothing can stop him. But again, you see how all these things line up and, and God's perfect plan in his perfect time, in his perfect way, these things all take place. Jesus now entering the city of Jerusalem on his last, the last week of his life before the cross, it says he entered Jerusalem, and it says the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? And this word for stirred is very interesting. It's a, it's a, a, word, it, it's a Greek word that says sail, and it's, it's from where we get our word seismic. And the Strong's uh, 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 definition, the Strong's uh, uh, dictionary, um, uh, Greek and Hebrew, um, uh, in the back of the Strong's um, Concordance, thank you very much. <laughs> See how I forget things. I've only used it for 30 years. Um, <clears throat> in the back of the Strong's Concordance, and, and uh, you can learn how to use these, it, it gives some definitions. And, and the, the first definition in the Strong's is to rock. And then it says to move, to shake, to quake. When Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, it says the whole city was rocked. They were shaken to their core. What was going on there? One of the things is they were, they were, again, they were expecting one thing from Jesus. But Jesus has a way of, of shaking things up, does he not? He has a way of, of making things quake and to, to rock uh, your world and my world. 
and, and to shake uh, the comfortable and, and to comfort the shaken, as, as uh, in a phrase some have used. We need to grapple with who he is just like they did. They said, who is this that was all shaken up? Who is this? And, and, and the question is, he, is he who he says he is? He proclaims to be the king. He proclaims to be God. He proclaims to be Lord and, and proclaims to be Savior. And he wants to bring peace and, and true peace. But it wasn't the way they thought. And maybe it isn't the way that you and I think. But for, for Jesus Christ, at that time, it was the way of the cross. Again, at that point in time when, when the Passover was there, they've done some, some research on it, and, and, and there were, uh, they, they figured there could have been upwards of, of uh, 2 million people that would descend upon the city of Jerusalem during the Feast of Passover. It's not a huge place. 2 million people descending on the city of Jerusalem, and then, and then the, the lambs that, that would be sacrificed there uh, you would have to have at least 10 uh, in a group to sacrifice a lamb. So even if you divide that by 10, how many is that? Somebody help me out here. 200,000. 200,000 lambs. And during Passover, they would slaughter a lamb and they would mark the, the top of the doorway and the sides of the door with the blood, right, from the lamb. You can read about this in Exodus chapter 12. But it really, when you read there, you can see, you can see a picture, a picture of the cross that would one day save you and I, mankind, from our sins, the blood that he shed when he spread his arms, the blood on the right and the left, the blood that came from his head, from his side, from his feet. The crowds answered, verse 11, this is Jesus. The question was, who is this? And, and things were completely stirred up, quaking, rocking. Who is this? And the crowd answers, answered, this is Jesus. This is Jesus, the prophet from, from Nazareth and Galilee. This is Jesus. We've seen in these verses here, the son of David speaking about his being king. Messiah, prophet. John's gospel says in, in chapter 6, when, when people saw a miraculous sign, this is earlier in the gospel of John that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Again, this is all part of the anticipation that the Jewish nation had for so many, many years. This is the prophet. This is the prophet. This is the one who would come. And, and, and again, they knew that, that, that he was the one. They didn't understand about the cross, though. This crowd, when you think about this, let's stop for a minute and think about this crowd. They're all shouting out praise. They're, out, they're all shouting out praise and prayer. Uh, you know, save us now, O King, Messiah, Son of David, prophet they're saying they're shouting out all these things but in less than four or five days what would the crowds be shouting crucify him crucify him i had to stop and and and, and write down you know this is what we all do too you know by our sins crucify him crucify him 
the king, he arrived into Jerusalem to the, to the cross and to the resurrection on his first coming to the earth. The second time he comes, he will rule and he will reign. The question is, for you and for me, we know this, we know what God's word says, is, has, is he our king? Have we received him? Has he entered to, into our lives? We know about the cross and the resurrection. But we also need to know about him ruling and reigning in our lives. They, they all go together, you see. The cross, the resurrection, and him being Lord as well as Savior. That's the question you and I have to answer. I mentioned earlier to be ready, to be prepared. We do not know what lies ahead. John says, I'll quote three verses from John and close. He says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the power to become children of God. To all those who received him and believed in his name. John chapter 3, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And then the words we all know in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The king, the king came to Jerusalem. He knew what he had to do. He, he had his sights fixed resolutely on the cross. You remember earlier in, 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 in his life where you know, he did an incredible thing. And uh, they, <clears throat> it says uh, that they, the crowds, after that quote, I said that he was the prophet who was coming to the world. The crowds, they, they intended to come and make him king by force. This is earlier again. But it says that he withdrew. He just walked away from them. And, and, and he went to a mountain by himself. But now he came king in his time, his way, and his purpose. The question you and I have to respond to him, is he king? Have, have we received him into our lives? And are we walking and following him? Are we going to do whatever he tells us? Because we recognize him as king. He's not just a friend, though he is that. He's way more than a friend. If you can get the picture in your mind of Jesus the king riding on this, this colt, this foal of a donkey into the city of Jerusalem and the, the shouting and the, and, the, and the prayer and the praise that he is the one. That, that's for you and for me as well. He is the one, the one to follow, the one worthy of giving our, our lives to because he came to Jerusalem to give his life. A ransom, we read in the last chapter, a ransom for my sin, for yours. Let's pray together, shall we?